Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Bill Bauman, Ph.D. I, he doesn't usually add that on the end, but it's there. Um, and uh, Bill is a delightful fellow whom I've gotten the opportunity to know over the past week, listening to his recordings and reading his book, Soul Vision, um, which I'm really enjoying. It's a very nice book with a lot of, uh, in addition to the, its main content, there's all these great quotes in the margins uh, that you, you want to read as you go through it. So we'll be talking about some of the points in this book and about Bill's whole story and everything. But first of all, welcome Bill. Thank you for coming and doing this. Uh, Rick, it's a total pleasure, total joy. I'm delighted to be here with you and um, to be um, having the privilege of talking to all these precious people who are watching and listening. Good. You may experience what we call the bat gap bump, which is I do an interview with somebody and all of a sudden their phone rings and they get a lot of inquiries and all that. That's <laughs> <laughs> sort of like the Stephen Colbert bump, I guess, uh, yeah. if anybody knows what that is. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but I love a, there's a great quote from him, which is, uh, the truth has a liberal bias. I love that one. <laughs> I've never heard that. That's a wonderful quote. <laughs> <laughs> to all my conservative friends, there's a give that yeah. little dig. Um, here's a little bio of Bill that's on the back of his book cover. Uh, Bill Bauman, Ph.D., is a modern mystic and spiritual teacher. As co-founder with his wife Donna of the Center for Soulful Living, he leads uh, seminars, retreats, mentoring groups, and other spiritual experiences to help participants become soulfully centered and infinitely attuned. Bill is a master of interdimensional living, a gifted healer, a powerful motivator, and an inspirational speaker. He currently lives peacefully and expansively amid the beautiful red rocks of the American Southwest, more specifically Las Vegas, <laughs> in a high-rise <laughs> condo. <laughs> but there's red rocks out there. If you <laughs> they are there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bill... Um, what I like to do in these interviews, and what people have requested that I do, actually, is to kind of cover two main bases. You know, one is just the person's life story, you know, their spiritual odyssey, the whole, uh, all they've been through, which uh, leading up to and then subsequent to, in many cases, usually some watershed moment of, of awakening. Um, and also, you know, and sometimes in the context of that, People usually, if they're a teacher of some kind, they usually have a teaching, you know, things they like to routinely say to people. So let's cover all those bases, and I'll interject questions as we go along. Okay, sounds perfect, Rick. Good. So shall we start with a life story? <laughs> that, that sounds good. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm never great at listening to myself talking about myself, but, uh, hey, I'm willing to give it a big shot here. Okay, and I'll so, uh, goad you every now and then with a question. Oh, okay, that sounds great. And, and you want me to, um, to talk about my life more in terms of um, awakening? Yeah, in your whole terms of how uh, everything centers Sure, not necessarily yeah. I was a boy scout and then I, you know, and then I did this, but in terms <laughs> of, you know, what you consider germane to your whole spiritual path. Yes. Okay. That's great. Actually, the, the, the pain of that is uh, I never was a Boy Scout. I always wanted to be a Boy Scout. So mm. let me cry and sob right here about <laughs> that. But other than that, uh, just briefly, I uh, started out as a Catholic priest, not when I was born, but actually, you know, in my uh, mid-20s. Uh -huh. and, um, and, and through all that training, uh, the main thing that happened to me was I fell into my heart. Everything became about love, which I felt was uh, the, the center of Christian teaching. But beyond that, I, I began to see it as the center of human living. Mm. 
Hmm. And, um, and so everything to me was about heart. It was about love. I, I began to see that and feel and experience and relate to all of life and people in terms of our interconnectedness, our interwovenness, the way we support each other, care about each other, even if we're yelling at each other. Uh, that there's some underlying thread of of a way we're trying to to support each other and come together, unify in some way. So so that was really there. So I was a Catholic priest for a very brief amount of time. I had heard you um, say that you at one point you heard the Moses voice saying, "Bill, I want you, <laughs> I want you to be my priest." If it's a, yeah, th- those Moses voices you uh, you, you don't. Um, ignore right. w- without uh, great pain, actually. <laughs> so it was actually at a very young age I heard that voice inside, and uh, and it was a loud, booming internal voice. It, it spoke with great authority. So I did follow that. Uh, not that I ever really personally wanted to, but it's one of those things, you know, when when the voice calls you, you do it. Yeah, and so so there really was that Moses voice that um, really is one one never ignores, and so I absolutely followed it, even though uh, yeah there wasn't a lot in me that said I really wanted to be a Catholic priest. But anyway, I became the priest, and to me the big part of that was about love. It was like my initiation into two thousand years, not of establishment, not of organization, not of all the political history, but but of just the pure essence of it, which is love. So. So I, um, when I got to the point where it was, it was just time to leave that, uh, I took love with me. Love somehow got ingrained as a solid core center of my being, if you will. So I entered the field of psychology, got my doctorate, and through all the years of uh, psychological practice, and I specialized a lot in deep, deep uh, psychotherapy, just driven to go to the depths of, of human living, um, uh, Love was always there, and it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. I loved my psychological time with people because uh, it was a very loving way of kind of massaging their depths and helping them grow in lots of ways. Then after a lot of years of that, the, the next big thing that happened is uh, I, got, I got cut off at the, at the pass, <clears throat> and that next big Moses voice came. You know, I, I, uh, I learned to not really appreciate Moses a lot. It was an interesting <laughs> thing. And, and it uh, basically said, um, said, okay, you're done with psychology. That's after my identity was pretty well wrapped up and uh, my fulfillment wrapped up in psychology. And it's time for spirituality. Mm. And so in, within just a couple years, uh, all these gifts, healing gifts, visionary gifts, uh, energy gifts, et cetera, just, uh, just like dumped into me, which was a major learning curve. But, but the learning curve was that, but it was also a sense of identity. It was the, that, that was the curve. It was like, oh, spiritual being. Ooh, big-time spiritual being. You yeah, know, we, had, we use the word Moses voice somewhat jokingly, yeah. uh, and we think of that, of course, as the big booming Charlton Heston thing that, you know. Yes, right. But, but right. do you really mean, was it really that um, overt or, or, or gross, or was it more a still silent whisper, just this sort of gentle impulse that you had learned to recognize and that moved you in a slightly different direction? Yeah. No. No, I, I wish it had been that still small voice with <laughs> No, it, it was quite booming. Okay. And uh, yeah, and whenever it spoke to me, now I've had those others as well. In fact, I've had a lot more of those. But but the the major turning points of my life um, seem to have been driven by a force, shall we say, much much bigger than this cute little adorable presence that's <laughs> that's, that's visible right here. So. Um, so, so what was uh, what was fascinating about all that is, 
is uh, I've always had this um, this uh, uh, mystical side to me, but it was in the background, and uh, and and so my identity was very human. Uh, and and so all of a sudden, my regular human identity started slipping to the back burner, back burner, and then gradually off the stove. As uh, quite quickly, uh, my whole sense of self became uh, more expansive. So from there, I um, just uh, quickly, with some odd set of circumstances, became a religious science minister for a while, mm-hmm. um, still doing a lot of spiritually oriented sessions, healing sessions on the side. Um, and did that for a few years, um, but then became. Let's, let's zoom in on what you just said a little bit more before we go on. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, there's that p- popular saying. It's in your book, actually, that you know we think of ourselves as human beings having a spiritual experience, but we're really hu- spiritual beings having a human experience. Yes. And, and of course, most people in the world would identify with the first part of that sentence, yes, of, um, right. where they, you know, I'm Joe Smith, and I'm uh, this is my job, and this is my wife, and these are my kids, and oh, every now and then I pick up a spiritual book and have a glimpse. Yeah. Um, but when you really talk about your identity shifting, I'm mm-hmm. sh- um, can you dwell, can you elaborate a bit on the actual experiential yeah. process of going through that and, and what it was like kind of coming out on the other side of it? I, I could try. Actually, the process, ironically, was torture. Mm-hmm. I went through about three years, and it was a self-created torture. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, all, we're always better at torturing ourselves than anybody else's, uh, at least for me. I mastered that quite well. Um, but the torture for me was um, I really liked being a human being. I really wanted to be a regular human being, grant a regular loving human being. That was a, an identity that I felt like was a perfect niche. Um, I, I liked all the regular human perks and fulfillments that came from that. I'm married to this exquisite, exquisite woman. Uh, who was a nun when I was a priest, and as we left, we exited together. I did the um, same thing, incidentally. I was on the Purusha program in the TM movement, which is like yes, the monastic uh-huh. thing, and my wife was on Mother Divine, which is the latest, yes. latest equivalent, and we kind of uh-huh. plotted for several months and then just left at the same time. <laughs> it's truly... Yeah. So we have a lot in common. Yeah. I, I looked at you first, at first, and I thought, you know, we're twins separated at birth, and now this confirms it. <laughs> it's right there. Uh, so... so um, for me, it was um, it was very well. Let me go back to that. Um, um, so I've been married for uh, forty four years to this beautiful, beautiful woman, and we had just and we still have. In fact, we have more than ever. But had this one back to the point, this wonderful relationship, um, and uh, we have this one child who whom we were raising at the time. Um, every everything human was like as uh, from a law of attraction point of view, it was about as good as it as it gets. And um, and especially after I left being a priest, I felt pretty allergic to um, anything um, specifically spiritual. So I, I threw out the as much as I could, threw out the baby with the bathwater. So what I did is I fought this internally. I, everything in me kept saying no, 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 while this bigger force just kept dumping more gifts, bringing me more there. And so I was living this dual life, which is... The real thing that was happening was um, I was literally quickly becoming this spiritual being without a human base. 
Hmm. And uh, and so I was drastically trying to hold on to that. We could call it as the as the death of the ego was happening. I was I kept pumping air into the ego. Is that what you and mean by without a human base? You mean death of the ego? Yeah. Because I yeah. mean, you had a life. You you were you were a psychiatrist or psychologist, and you had a wife and yeah. a wife and a kid, and you know, yeah. car and a, a house and all that jazz. Yeah. Uh, but somehow or other, that was all. Well, you weren't losing those things. No, I wasn't losing any of it, but I was losing um, an identity in it, the way I identified with it. Mm -hmm. I was losing a whole sense of self-concept. I was losing a whole sense of how I was related to the world. So a lot of external things didn't change, except my, my psychological practice did. Very quickly, within about a year, I, um, I shut it down. We moved to a whole new city. And instead of doing a psychological practice, I did it a sort of a blended psychological, spiritual, what they call transpersonal psychology practice. Um, then uh, did the religious science minister thing about half time in this uh, in this city, and uh, and and so so the back to your question, the uh, the learning curve or the growing curve was horrendous, and it truly was for those few years. It was a, a painful death of the ego, hmm. until. In steps, but at one point, after a few years, somehow everything just came clear to me. Like you know, the great aha, which was, oh, oh, <laughs> you know what? I'm down on my knees, uh, face facts, Bill. This is the way it is. You know. So, what was the people? nature of that pain? Why was it painful? And and like, can you give us a specific example of something that was painful? Okay. Well, let me say something general first. Um, I think after, uh, with that whole Catholic priest experience, which uh, was the best of times, worst of times. It, the best of times was all the love and the relationship with and helping people in a great servant mode. I just love that. The tough part was the organizational part of it was very heavy for me, very restrictive, very um, very punitive, if you will, uh, because I was uh, sort of always getting in trouble by the things <laughs> I was saying and doing. Uh, um, and so, so I felt. I think I felt subconsciously betrayed by God. Like, mm. yeah, you call me with the Moses voice. I say yes, and then uh, it's it's just all pain. Okay. So then I think I just said, okay, good. God's up on the shelf. I'm free to be me. And so what this represented to me, and this was the painful part, is, ooh, I'm not in charge. Mm. I'm not in control here. This is. I thought this was my life. Ooh, it's not my life. And so um, what I noticed from that point on is any number of things happened over the years that if I, little Billy, Bill Bauman, if I wanted something, it didn't happen. Hmm. If I didn't want it, it happened. Hmm. And, 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 uh, and, of course, in hindsight, the great gift of that is, oh, oh, it's not about I – don't, I don't live here in a way that lets this be fulfilling – in the regular human way. Yeah. I live, you can't see my, my arms here, but I live in this bigger spiritual space and everything about me is guided, moved, directed, supported from a much, much bigger field, if you will. Yeah, so little Bill didn't know what was good for him. He, he kept wanting things that weren't ultimately what he was supposed to have. That's and right. So you were like swimming against the current, you know? Yeah, I was right? a two-year-old stomping my feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and convinced that if I kept stomping hard enough, it would surely work. And it's, so and, it sounds uh, like you finally got that pounded out of you after about three years. 
That's the perfect verb. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Pounded and beat out of me. And and it was. It was that moment when, oh, I get it. You know, like in The Wizard of Oz, surrender Dorothy written in the sky. Yeah, well, yeah. scratch Dorothy, put Bill. So, so, I, uh, so I really got it. Like, oh, then I just launched into, I let go. I let go of the whole human thing. And I launched into the spiritual, and I just opened myself with... Uh, with a strong abandon, actually, where I realized, I really got at some deep level um, um, how critically central being spiritual is in my life. And I think just as a little mentoring kind of a, uh, expression to anybody who's watching and listening, I think one of the values of rebellion, <laughs> one of the values of resistance, is that once we get to the end of it, no matter how painful it is, and, and really get the picture, then we've really got it. Hmm. Whereas if we're just kind of eh, conformingly going along, um, the, the whole of us doesn't necessarily show up. So that was the value in that resistance to me. Um, either that or I'm making up a nice story about what a great value <laughs> it was. So, so, uh, so then all of a sudden uh, oneness came in, and I got uh, like almost obsessed with oneness. What is oneness? So I read books on it, and I, and I never had a mentor, a spiritual mentor. I never was allowed a spiritual guru, teacher, uh, system, if you will. It was all internal. Yeah, I was going to uh, ask, you know, because it, um, you, you never had a mentor, and it also I kind of got the impression that you actually weren't doing spiritual practices. You were just sort of being driven along by this force, um, irrespective of what you did and that kind of fascinates me because i've always been a practice kind of guy and it always interests, yes. it interests yeah. me when i see people who have just you know they're just given a shove and the, and it keeps on shoving um almost without their against their will almost yes yes yeah. I, I i actually um tried to do a detour a couple times and and get a spiritual teacher mm -hmm. it was not sweet it's again it's that same thing where yeah, you know it's like, if you, you you go outside of um you know how life is moving you and you try to do it a different way it doesn't mm -hmm. work um well it was a fascinating thing in fact i i had a lot of friends along the way who belonged to different spiritual movements organizations followed different teachers gurus etc and for a little while i was uh, i was kind of jealous of them because it's like oh they they, they have these nice, neat systems, philosophical systems, spiritual systems, practice systems. Um, and I used to think, well, that's – plus they had a nice sense of belonging, you know, belonging to that community, that mindset, that spiritual uh, system. And, um, and, I, and, and, and yet what I noticed is over the years, as I – and I don't say this judgmentally at all, but as I kept growing, I watched – many of them sort of stay right at the same place they were, just kind of still that same sense of belonging, which was just fine and right and probably perfect. But for me, um, I think that maybe the reason I wasn't allowed to fit in somewhere is because um, it was just important for me to keep growing and keep mm -hmm. growing and keep growing. And and that became my my path was um, just to, um, to to kind of uh, blossom like a flower at, into one level of experience and uh, be there for a while and then just keep moving to the next. Mm. So, so, it's um, a very astute observation, actually. I mean, I've seen that with spiritual groups where people get kind of calcified in a particular mm -hmm. niche, you know, and then sometimes you'll see that they leave the group and very shortly thereafter there's some 
big awakening. It's almost like, or or maybe you know, maybe they have the big awakening and then they leave the group. But it's almost like the mm-hmm. chick, the chick. It's time for the chick to leave the incubator. That, yeah, and stay in the incubator any longer. It's not helpful for the chick nor the, his fellow chicks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's good to get out of there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that that's really well said. I think, and I think just in fairness too, it's uh, there's some people who. Um, just in terms of their spiritual path or their spiritual calling, um, they're, they're there. That niche is a perfect niche for them, maybe exactly. for the rest of their life. Yeah. And for others like me, um, who are just called to keep moving, um, mm-hmm. it's it's not. So I would go so far as to say, even if they are fundamentalists, you know, or something, that it's fine. It, that's where they're at. You know, that's that, mm-hmm. that's what they need. That's right for them at that time. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, I that that fits perfectly. Yeah. So so if I if I yeah. go back to oneness, I. I, I hung out. Uh, I even started doing workshops on uh, on oneness, and uh, and I noticed um, um, duality kind of shrinking into oneness in an off and on way. And then um, one time I had this um, remarkable, unexpected experience. It wasn't the Moses voice, but it was um, even stronger than that, where I was right at the end of giving a weekend workshop, a spiritual growth workshop. And um, and with about an hour or so to go, um, all of a sudden I'm up on the stage, and I don't know, 50, 60 people out there in the in the in the group, and um, and uh, I just got really weak, and I went, you know, just kind of collapsed onto the floor, and I became momentarily, which lasted about three hours, paralyzed, like huh. like just nothing would move, and Did I witnessed. People called an ambulance or anything? Or? Uh, no, 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 no. I uh, I don't. I don't even know if they thought about that. Uh, this <laughs> oh, is Bill behaving normally. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, by that time. <laughs> oh, Bill's doing something else. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, what I noticed is something about me, something left. It just, like it got sucked out. And uh, later, and I, of course, I, my mind was not able to really think. I could just witness a little bit. And and later I recognized that, oh, that's the last part of the human me, last part of the dualistic me, if you will. And then after some unknown amount of time, I don't know whether it was 10 seconds, 5 minutes, or whatever, um, something else just just came in. And in, again, later in hindsight, I discovered it was a, call it a, call it a unified consciousness, a unity consciousness in a TM-focused um, or, or just uh, my unified self, and uh, and that changed me forever. So I went from love, being very loving as a central identity, to being a um, I'll just call it a unified being, being part of the the unified field of life. And and so everything that I saw from that point on um, was uh, was seen through the through a, a unified perception and. Specifically, what that means is, um, and this is a terrible thing, terrible thing. I couldn't judge anything anymore. <clears throat> it was awful. Uh, it was like, oh, one, it just was, but oh, gee, look at that. It's just beautiful how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so there was no judgment. There was no growling inside. There was, uh, you know, no, none of the feeling sorry for self. The, the, the things that uh, an ego would do, if you will. Yeah. Um, there was still, I imagine, preferences and discrimination and all, but just not the sort of ego-laden judgment. Like if you went into a restaurant, you'd, you would say, well, I'd rather have the, you know, the enchilada yeah. than the quesadilla or something. But mm-hmm. uh, So yeah. there, were, there were still choices, right? But um, 
yeah, yeah, there were choices about those practical things, but more and more the choices about other things like uh, you know whether I want life to go this way for me or that way. Right. They they just um, not even gradually, pretty quickly, they all kind of went into, oh, I'm just one with whatever it is, and so mm-hmm. so part of it for me to say it another way was I, I was just kind of um, floating along. Um, not in a passive way at all, but floating along with, let me just call it the movement of life. Mm-hmm. So I became one with life and life's movements and life's flow and life's design, and I stopped thinking in terms of an individual design. Did you ever and, find yourself saying, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me? You know, or were you, were you completely okay with whatever happened? Well, uh, by golly, that's a great question. Um, I had a grand initiation of not, uh, that, that led me to not do that again, let, let, let this cup pass for me. Um, not long after that whole initiation process on the stage of becoming one, um, I discovered that uh, there was this enormous, enormous um, pain. It's, a, it's like a psychic pain, a, a scream in my, in my gut that, that just wouldn't quit. And the long story short is that was the primal scream of humanity's pain. Mm. So I was one with humanity. And, and the setup was, not by my design, my personal design, the setup was, okay, Bill, you're one with all life. You're one with infinity, one with the universe, one with the divine. Let's be one with humanity. And specifically, let's be one down at that existential, unconscious, primal level Let's be one with where it really hurts for the collective human being. And so uh, for a number of years, I went through that scream. And at first, I went through the first several months basically let this cup pass from me, let, basically saying, because I've, I've, by that time I've been a healer for quite a while, and I, I've, uh, in my, my great little toolbox of healing tools, um, you know, I, I could, for myself, I, up to then, I could heal about anything. So I was trying to heal this. It wouldn't budge. Mm. So uh, then prayer, let this pass from me, wouldn't budge. And I started to realize, and after, I'll say several months, I'm guessing, it became really clear to me again. See, I, I'm slow, but I do catch on. <laughs> <laughs> it became clear to me, oh, this is not about healing. This is not about getting rid of. This is about oneness. Hmm. So if I'm really here to be one, I'm here to be one with everything, including, call it the dark side, the mm-hmm. down side, the pain side. And so in, in all those years, what I did is I just loved it and I became one with it. I just sort of sank into it, sank into it. Um, and, and in that, uh, not only did I let go of let this pass from me as a style, but I, uh, if I may use the, the verb, I, I mastered, or there was mastered in me, this, um, this capacity to just be one with anything, no matter what. Hmm. So even from a healing point of view later or, or through and after that, it's like uh, if someone presents anything to me, a cancer, a, uh, uh, an insanity, a, 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 the, the terrible level of whatever, um, I just become totally one with it. I wanna, and, let, 
Go ahead. Yeah, I want to interject uh, two points there. The, well, maybe I'll interject on the first point, and then you can comment, and then I'll come back on the second point. The, the first one is it's, it's interesting because what you seem to spontaneously experience, this um, you know, complete surrender, going with the flow, letting things unfold as they, as they are, that's often offered as a prescription to people. But in your case, it just became a description of what happened to you pretty much unwillingly. I mean, automatically, right. you know. But you, you read all these teachers who tell people to do that, and I'm not sure if that works so well sometimes. So yeah, any comments <laughs> on that before I go on to the next point? <laughs> no. It, uh, having watched myself tell people that a lot, I, I get it doesn't uh, – sometimes it takes. But most of the time it's like, yeah, sounds right. Yeah, I should do that. That's right. I'll try to do that. Yeah, and, it's like uh, some great tennis player saying, here's how I do it. And you go like this, you go like that. And then somebody like me watching and listening, and, and you know, it's, it's like, I understand what you're talking about, but I can't do it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and you try it a little bit, and maybe you make a 1% uh, leap into that. Um, no, that's really true. And, and that's where I've come to think, Rick, uh, a, a fair amount that um, a lot is about our timing. It's like when it's time, it's time, and when it's not, it's not. And then a, a lot also is about, and this is the other big thing I've discovered over the years, a lot is about uh, my or one's willingness to just let go. Hmm. Um, or now, ability me, to just let go. Or, or ability. Because yeah, some people yeah, say, that's, hey, that's I want to let go, but it's not happening, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and and for me, again, as you said, um, it was like there was this big force or presence or whatever that that we could call divine that that was in charge of the whole thing, and um, and so it really for me, I I got those lessons like surrender. I got them in the process of a ritual that was done to and through me. Uh, as opposed to my saying, okay, now I'm ready for this. And uh, and everybody's got their different style, of course. But uh, yeah. in Sometimes all of when it, I hear stories like this, I kind of get the impression that perhaps the person had really built up a head of steam in previous lives or something. And you know, when they come into this life, it's like they don't have to do anything. There's a momentum, and it's just going to carry them along, um, mm. like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me add to that to, from another angle. I have no proof for what I'm about to say, mm -hmm. but I have for so long had the sense, I and mean, it's a deep, solid sense that um, whether, for example, what you said about past lives is true for me or not, I don't know. But the deep sense I've had is that um, I am a, an example or a model of somebody who's just plain bill just ordinary that's why my name is perfect just plain bill uh, and uh, i'm just an ordinary regular human being to whom and through whom and in whom all these things uh happened and then happened again and bigger and bigger and bigger i i think to to either exemplify or model or demonstrate how grace let me just use that word how grace can transform even the simplest little ordinary character um, into um, a, a budding flower that um, somehow is allowed to find the richness of the human experience in a way that is uh, that's got all the spiritual juice to, and and love to it, and and just can live in all dimensions at the same time. So it's sort of like going going from zero to a hundred, if you yeah. will. Yeah. 
Well, that kind of fits in with the theme of this show, the subtitle being, you know, conversations with ordinary, spiritually awakened people. Mm-hmm. And there's an historical precedent for it. I mean, you know, Christ cho- you know, recruited a bunch of fishermen to be his disciples. Right. And uh, Shankara's main disciple was just this little guy that would be washing the clothes and stuff while the, while the other disciples were sitting around having these philosophical discourses and he was considered to be too simple minded to engage in those uh, but he's but then through his kind of devotion and whatever he had this profound awakening and became the the principal teacher in Shankar's lineage you know uh, yes, just yes. Awo- awoke to the full potential just um, through his simplicity yes, he yes. Was, his name was Trotakacharya but um all right, so now how about this point about the pain? It seems like there's no end to it, and uh, somehow you seem to have resolved that, but certainly one man can't dissolve the pain of the world in his heart because it's, there's no end to how much needs to be dissolved. Yeah, well, from a linear point of view, that's right. There's no end to it. It's a, it's a bottomless pit, if yeah. you will. From a grace point of view, um, there uh, absolutely can be uh, either an end to it or an entry into a whole different kind of relationship with it. And that's what happened to me. So I, I hung out with this pain for actually nine years. It was an interesting kind of thing. And it, and it just screamed and screamed. Uh, it, was, it was the most painful kind of thing. Sometimes I would just double over in the, not the physical pain, but the psychic pain of it all. Mm. Uh, I'm just saying that so everybody will feel sorry for me. I, I, <laughs> I thrive on pity. Yeah. We'll uh, put your address in at the end so they can send flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that w- that's a good idea. Why didn't I think of that? Um, so, so what what happened after nine years, and I I felt it starting to move almost a year before the end, is is um, apparently I had just become one with it, become one with it, and uh, and um, let that let myself move into that place where there was just no distinction. It was like that was pain, and it just was, and just in oneness the magic of oneness i think is that all of a sudden the pain stops being in a dualistic relationship with me and and we we enter into a unified relationship so from that point on and um that's been a lot of years now um i'm guessing 17 18 20 years whatever um from that point on i i've never felt that kind of pain before but I am in an intimate relationship with the pain of humanity in a way that uh, that doesn't scream dualistically, but in a way that so appreciates the love, so appreciates the unity, that um, it, it literally becomes a partner for me in healing others, <clears throat> and just in my relationship to the planet and to the human race in general. So that, uh, for example, when I watch wars and I watch um, you know rapes and I watch watch uh, injustices let's say the, the terrible pain that we have in, in humanness I don't go to oh what a terrible pain because that's a more of a dualistic uh, kind of thing I go I just go to this uh, embrace of oneness and uh, and then just in that embrace I just kind of watch blessings kind of ooze into the situation and it's very sweet so so being in oneness for me uh, and, and for many other people I've helped be there but for for me is uh, is just this most sweet uh, godlike loving of this human race and uh, and and one of the side effects is I, I just have, have stopped 
thinking there's anything wrong. And so even when I look at something that stereotypically, dualistically, we would say, ooh, that's wrong, um, instead of that, again, I just, uh, I just let myself merge with it. And, uh, and it, within my consciousness or the consciousness that's here, um, it, uh, it has its own transformation, and I'm sure that generalizes in some way. So it's, a, it's just a sweet, sweet kind of a thing. So what was your reaction, for instance, on 9-11? Well, it was a fascinating reaction, fascinating, um, uh, because at that point I was um, kind of in my next step, which was uh, my essence or beingness or divinity step, which is, oh, everything just is. So I watched 9-11 happen, and I watched um, the reaction, of course, of 99.9% .9 of people to it, which was a very uh, sort of a gut-level, primal, fight-or-flight, fear-based, uh, security-oriented, uh, survival-directed kind of response. And I kept looking in myself for response, like, what, what is this? And uh, none of that was there. Uh, actually, ironically, no judgment of anybody was there. I felt the same thing. It's like I just went to all the victims. I went to all the perpetrators in the exact same way, and I just... I just uh, sort of let my beingness wrap around them, and uh, and I just felt for them. I felt deep compassion. I felt deep love. I felt deep honoring, and um, and 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 I feel like that's sort of my calling to life. Maybe one of the gifts I give to our humanness is uh, just no matter what the stereotypic judgment might be about anybody, but I I just um, I, I just let myself totally unite with who they are, how they are, what they are, and, uh, and, the, and let the magic of that do whatever, whatever it does. So, so my response was um, a non-judgmental, love-based, deeply inner peace-based um, oh, um, connection. And then from there, what that allowed is it allowed me pretty instantaneously a vision, it, it, because there wasn't anything to stop me from a clear vision. And the vision was oh, I think we have just witnessed a major initiation, a global initiation into the beginnings of a new, um, a new humanity. And, of course, out of that has come the whole 2012 um, myth-based uh, kind of a thing and the moving from the Piscean Age to the Aquarian Age, just all the, the labels we want to put to that. And then everything that's come from that, where we're still going through this this major turning point, if you will, into uh, this this uh, remarkable new time. And so, if there was, and I, if anybody's got judgment about 9/11, um, 2001, I apologize for this remark, but um, but it it uh, it it felt to me like that was um, in some way a real gift because it, uh, it invited us all to get out of our comfort zone and show up in a different way. That's so kind of my, that was, was sort of my reaction, too. I mean, when I saw that happen, I thought, whoa, it's happening. You know, things are really changing mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. this pain thing I can relate to, too, and um, find it very interesting. I, I find myself kind of contemplating situations where people are subjected to extreme suffering and, like, torture and and things like that, and um, you know, kind of wondering, kind of just 
firstly, I mean, coming at it from a number of angles, wondering, you know, how I would hold up under such a thing, whether any degree of awakening I've achieved would actually be sustained. Um, mm -hmm. and, and also, you know, why such things happen, why, you know, what, what can, what, what could, how, where would a person have to be at to inflict that on somebody else? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then kind of taking it out to the God level of, oh, okay, well, it's all God, and he, he's the torturer, he's the torturee, uh, and somehow this is entertaining on a cosmic <laughs> level, you know. <laughs> it's just part of the the whole grand Leela, you know. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for some reason, I find myself processing this stuff. I'll be out cutting the grass, going through this scenario, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. feeling like I'm working through something. It, yes, yes. I tried to help help uh, help the mind catch up to the bigger picture of the whole thing. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. For what it's worth. Yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, um, apropos of this point about pain, it, it seems like we all develop a, a kind of a shell, like a clam or a snail. And the, the shell, it both isolates us, but it protects us, you know, so mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of necessary. And it almost seems like awakening into oneness is a process of dissolving the shell and, and, and becoming more vulnerable, but somehow not having that be lethal. You, know, you want to elaborate on that a bit? Wow. I loved your words. I, uh, I could just sit with those words. I, I think you said it beautifully. No, it's, it's really true. Some, somebody just, I just this morning in this morning's mail, I got this uh, book as a gift from somebody in the mail called uh, Undefended Love. And so I've not had a chance to, to look at it. But, but I love the title. It's like there, there's some books I haven't read, but the title grabs me, you know. <laughs> and, and so Undefended Love, I think, is what you're talking about. It's like, like yeah, the, the, the beauty of, um, of oneness and, if I may say it, saying yes to oneness and just, just letting go into, uh, into being one is, um, is bit by bit, usually, we, we let go of that shell, that defense, that self-protection. We let go of the ways we try to keep ourselves from being hurt or keep ourselves from being in pain from the seeming um, terribleness or danger or whatever of, of life or of other people. And, and for me, at least, as we, as we do that, we just keep letting go, letting go, letting go. What I found for me is um, the power of love, the power of oneness, the power of, of um, uh, a willingness to to dance more intimately with all facets of life, not just human beings, but, but the, the stuff of life itself. Um, the power of that is amazing in just somehow softening the blows, in somehow establishing the power of spirit or the power of soul or the power of the divine uh, the, or the power of one's God self uh, and any other label we want to put inside the human self, inside the, the human core, and somehow then the my human and my divine, if I can say it that way, are so merged that it, it, it that, I, become a, a much more powerful presence, not power in the usual stereotypic dualistic sense of the term, where it's about win-lose, but, but power in terms of win-win and power in terms of, wow, I can really be here and I can really be the fullness of who I am called to be here in any given moment. And, uh, and it's okay because the power takes over. So I, to say that another way, I, I feel like what we do is we move from self-protection, that's the shell you talked about, to openness where what, as the doors open, as the gates open, a deeper, fuller power comes 
to do a much better job than the self-protection did in terms of allowing us to be present in a way that uh, ultimately can be um, just about downright 100% um, non-vulnerable. It's a, um, and it's a, it's a powerful thing. As you were saying that, the image came to mind of the Aikido masters, you know, who rather than taking a sort of a obstinate, oppositional sort of uh, approach to an attacker, would just somehow do this little thing and the attacker's force would be used against them and the, the, they'd just be blown off and the master would just hardly have done anything. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. That, that's a power. Yeah. Exactly. So do you feel, though, that it, at a certain stage of a person's development, it's, it's necessary and appropriate for them to have a shell and to be protective? Perhaps they don't have the inner wherewithal, the inner strength to, or, the, or the attunement to this sort of cosmic in, uh, intelligence to operate as you're, as you're describing, and, and that, it can't be, that shell can't be sh shed uh, instantly. It has to sort of be a process that might take years. I, I love your point, Rick. I, I so agree with that. I, uh, you know, I've spent so many decades now, because um, I'm so old, <laughs> I've, I've spent so many decades uh, really helping people at various, various places of, of uh, call it development. And uh, I think especially when we've experienced some kind of trauma, especially if it's early in life, mm. um, there, there's a part of us that just freezes. And, it, and it's gut level, and it's way, way, way down deep, uh, uh, even at unconscious levels. We just freeze. We partially paralyze. We, we, uh, while the rest of us keeps going on and growing, something in there says, I'm too scared. And so, uh, and, and, and it's often a really painful, painful kind of thing. So for people like that, they, they deeply subconsciously are convinced that they have to protect that. And if they don't protect that, they're going to die. And so for them, self-protection is uh, not only important, it's pretty imperative. And so I notice for myself, I will never invite someone to take away a self-protection unless or until I, I really see that there, there's something else, some deeper spiritual power, for example, uh, or some deeper psychological power that can take the place of that pain. And then mm. that pain usually needs to be nurtured in a certain way and then once it is, as you say, over time, ah, then it can heal, it can be done. And then I've watched people just take enormously quick strides in their, in their growth, in their expansion, in, uh, in being everything that they came here to be. Uh, but, but you're right, that's a, a very sensitive point, not just for healers, if you will, of various ilks, but for the person himself, herself, in relation to that. that and, and if I had a... Uh, what a cute word, paradigm for that. It would be that, that I think the first thing is to just go and connect with it, just be with it. Because most of us, we run from it. We block it, we deny it, we ignore it, we numb it um, with all sorts of things. Um, but just to go to it and show up to it. And then second, love it, as opposed to reject it, I want it, I want it gone. Uh, just love it, love it, love it. And when we do that, it starts talking to us in different ways. It starts inviting us in in different ways. It's, it, there's a relationship. And then from there, the magic can start happening. And it's a, but it's a very fragile, sensitive kind of a thing. And uh, um, it's, it's just really, really precious. I know for me, when I'm, when I'm feeling called to really be present to someone in that circumstance, um, what a joy it is for me just to go and be... Um, passionately, quietly in love with that pain. 
and and the power of love uh, in healing even the most violent, vehement, tragic, explosive uh, kind of pain or suffering that's there is just enormous. It's um, it's just a it's to me it's a delight to watch love. Uh, do what all of our theories about love say it will do. And to me, I can almost intertwine the words love and oneness. Hmm. Yeah, I was in an encounter group back in like about 1969 when such things were in vogue. And uh, yes. and I saw this process where people's sort of defenses would be hammered down and shattered, yes. but without there being given any kind of counterbalancing strength or inner resources to be defenseless and it would really be, be shattering for people a very crude yes. and inappropriate way yes. of helping yes. yeah exactly yeah yeah you and i are twins i had those experiences too yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. um one thing you mentioned in the recordings i was listening to uh were and maybe you, maybe this is uh you know dovetails with the processing pain phase you went through but you said several years of deconstructing beliefs and concepts. I found that kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. Uh, yeah, this was back probably in the mid-1980s. Uh, it was another Moses voice. It was uh-huh. really cute. And uh, the Moses voice said, uh, Bill. I don't know why it wouldn't call me Moses all these times. It's always <laughs> Bill. Uh, Bill, it's time to unlearn everything you've ever learned. And I thought, well, that's fascinating, because by that time I had degrees up the wazoo, and I, um, I, I wasn't overly attached to everything I knew, but uh, I think I was attached to it. And, and so um, I ignored it. Um, it came back. I ignored it again. And I don't know, after the fourth, fifth time, I decided, you know, resistance is futile. Um, so, and it felt right. All of a sudden it felt right. So I decided I was going to just every... Uh, judgment I had, every thought I had, every theory I had, every interpretation, every uh, value, every principle, uh, all those words, every assumption I had, every idea I had, um, I was just going to take it and just put it on some invisible table next to me so uh, just to empty out my mind, so, to unlearn everything I ever learned. Well, I had no clue when I started that what kind of a project I took on. This took me about three years, mm-hmm. and um, and and I and I, I did did it. I, it was a it was a practice. It was a practice that that felt sacred, felt important, like I had to do this, and it was amazing. I I I had no idea how many thousands of layers of thoughts we have, <laughs> um, uh, and it felt like there was a there was a, a bottomless pit, and and there wasn't, but. But I noticed after a few months, I had, I had just gotten rid of, gotten rid of, gotten rid of enough that I started to feel unexpectedly scared. I thought, whoa, what's that? And I realized, oh, my whole sense of safety and security in relation to the world, not whole sense, but was, was in some way related to, oh, I can think it away. I can categorize it. I, I, can, I can have a theory about it. I, 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 I know something about it. So that, I noticed, was a, was a shield I had uh, protecting me from life. So I, so I went through the few, few months of, of uh, fear, a little bit of terror, and uh, and after a while, somehow I started feeling okay. It's like, oh, okay, I got through that. I, I've lived. It's okay. I'm I'm still shedding all those, and and so I went on. And uh, after about two years, um, I noticed uh, myself 
starting to think, well, gee, you know, this is the, the, I can tell the, the barrel is getting emptier. I wonder what will it'll be like. And right about that point, I started to experience people not so much in terms of thoughts, interpretations, theories, ideologies, um, principles, but more in terms of um, their energies, their emotions, their feelings. I did that with nature. It's like I, you know, there, there I was all of a sudden a tree hugger. It was awful. <laughs> um, no, I just, just they're feeling, feeling. That's it. So um, feeling nature, feeling people, feeling their hearts, feeling their pain, feeling, feeling their beauty, feeling take the air I breathe. It was like, oh, I can feel that prana, that chi, like I've never felt it before. Hmm. Um, so when I was less in the mind. And um, uh, well, let me no, let me change that. When I was less in the constructs of the mind, I started noticing. This was the strangest thing, strangest discovery for me. Oh, my mind and my thoughts have feelings. So, and, and I, you know, we most of us we think of the mind like a computer. You know, it's the logical um, Mr. Spock quality of us, if you will. Oh, that was good. Um, and uh, and yet for me, I discovered, oh, this is my mind is as feeling and sensitive a part of me as as anything else. So after three years, boom, I hit I hit bottom. It was like, oh, all of a sudden, I looked and there was there was in relation to everything, there was no more. There was no more thought about it, and everything just was. It was really strange. Now, that can be humanly embarrassing, and it was from time to time. Like somebody's talking to you, and all of a sudden, you know, the conversation's there, and they're looking at you because it's your turn to say something. <laughs> You're uh, spacing out. <laughs> and and so and there was nothing to say because, oh, wow, it just is. <laughs> Internally, it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so there were a few uh, or several a bit embarrassing moments on the outside. But what it did for me, oh my gosh, what it did for me is, and this was the point right at the end, boom, it was emptied out. My mind almost instantly looked for its new job definition. Hmm. And what it did all on its own, it just hooked into my heart. It bonded and merged and unified with my heart and then I watched over the next few weeks, my mind, again, all on its own, decided, okay, my new job is to take the wisdom of the heart, the truth of the soul, and figure out, which is what a mind is good at, figure out how to manifest that, how to, how to express that, how to put that into gear, um, how, how, to, how to put that into a three-dimensional world. And my mind was so happy. I never, never thought about a happy mind, but all of a sudden my mind was feeling fulfilled. It was like, ah, I'm unified. I'm, uh, I'm, I, I found my dharma. I found my niche, and uh, and it's been living happily ever after since then. It's a really just, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was amazing, just amazing. So again, I, if so, I, if I, yeah, that's right. Ahead. Let's unpack this a little bit. So, yeah. it's, it sounds like another one of these things that you know you just hung on for dear life, and this this thing happened to you. Mm -hmm. You weren't sort of yeah. the mo prime motivator of it. Um, but it does sound a little bit more practice-like than some of the things you went through. It's like yeah. you went through layer after layer after layer. And um, was it sort of – were things just kind of bubbling up and, you know, a concept – you'd find yourself making a judgment about something. And then you'd think, wait a minute. 
is that really true? Almost a Byron Katie kind of process. Do I absolutely know that's true? You know, and and uh, was was there sort of a little habit that developed in which you learned to um, kind of play devil's advocate with yourself on all of your concepts and and judgments? Yeah, there, there was a there was a distinct habit, but I wasn't bright enough to take it the Byron Katie direction. Uh -huh. <laughs> the habit was, oh, oh, there's a thought, or there's a judgment, or there's a theory, or there's a belief, and I just just took it. And, and I wouldn't even look at it and ask the question because mm -hmm. if for me at least in, in that practice if I asked the question I was engaging the mind again mm -hmm. like if I would say is that true I was using the mind to solve the mind <laughs> and um, and that uh, just wasn't the calling I mean I, I have great respect for um, Katie's Sorry, work Katie. etc mm -hmm. but but uh, but for me it, w it wasn't that that would have for me defeated the purpose so for me it was oh there's a thought Put it to the side, just uh, just like in TM as you're doing the the meditation. Oh, there's a thought. I just kind of gently let it go and move mm -hmm. from there. Is so that was it? But it was a practice, mm -hmm. and and if there's, I, I noticed over the years, what uh, if there's one thing consistent in what my path has been, and it's only my path, um, the 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 thing that's been consistent is saying yes. It's like, oh, boom, this is what's important to show up to, yes. And, and as you know from a couple of things I've, I've described, I, I came to saying yes the hard way. I, uh, uh, I, I was a big no guy for, for quite a while, the, the power of no, as we say. <laughs> and, 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 um, except somebody put a W at the end of that. <laughs> right. I don't know what that was yeah. about. That um, was the key. He got rich that, doing that. Yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. See, I stopped at uh, N-O, and I, I didn't get rich for that. Yeah. I should have learned something. Anyway, um, so, so, um, so for me, it was very much about, oh, say yes to it, go with it, even if I don't understand it. You know, like the whole mind thing, I, it just felt like, yes, it's really important for me to do this. And so I did add, personally, an element of, of yes and an element of um, discipline. Because so let's like take a couple of specific examples. So let's say, you know, we believe in God. We have a particular political orientation. We yeah, exactly. we might have, um, you know, philosophical attitude toward uh, I don't know whether reincarnation exists or these are and there are all kinds of assumptions. You know, yes. we, we assume yes. th we assume things about everybody we run into. You know, someone speaks a certain way, we assume they're that kind of person, which mm -hmm. might be pretty far off the mark in terms of what they actually are. Sure. So in terms of all these assumptions and beliefs and, and all, uh, how did you go about this deconstructing them? Let's say the God thing. I mean, you, you were a priest. You must have grown up believing in God. Did, it, did at any point you reexamine that whole thing and, and uh, kind of shed a certain adamant uh, certainty about it or what? <laughs> well, actually, for that particular question, probably the first uh, 10 years after I left the priesthood and left the Catholic Church, um, in throwing out the baby one. with the, the bathwater, I was um, at rather an avowed agnostic and probably pretty close to an atheist. So, oh, okay. so I, I'd kind of done that one before. But, but, uh, but all of them, all of those questions, I, and I love your examples. And for me, add to those, because I was doing a lot of psychotherapy and um, just helping people a lot, uh, where people <laughs> would say things. And, of course, in that role... I noticed that my typical response was, oh, that means this. Mm -hmm. Oh, that symbolizes that. Oh, right. that, that, you know, and so I would explain it to myself in different ways. 
So anytime I noticed in any way, which was, you know, five times a minute, <laughs> like, oh, there's an interpretation, there's an assumption, whatever. Again, simple thing. I just kind of, um, without using my hands, just set it aside and went back to focusing on whatever it was. Oop, there's another thought. Set it aside, go back to whatever was in the moment. Oop, there's an assumption. Set it aside. It was it was very very simple. Ironically, it didn't get boring. You would think you know oh, doing sounds that. Sounds interesting. Yeah, and and uh, again for can, me, can this be prescribed? I mean, can you sort of say, hey everybody, here's how you do it? Actually, it really can be. I I've um, you know I I don't usually advocate that to people because um, again, like the other things we talked about, there are very few people who feel called to that, mm-hmm. or if they do, they kind of don't like the idea <laughs> of it. Plus, it seems to them like a lot of work. But for those that I've talked about it, and they've said, oh, that feels like a calling, and I've supported them and helped them in doing that, it's it's made uh, a huge difference. I, it, it, it's made more than a huge, huge difference. It's like dissolves so much of what we would spiritually tend to call ego or small s self. And it, and it just kind of opens them to, it like opens doors to infinity um, just because that one little ways the way that we use the mind uh, is out of the way. And, uh, and I've watched, for example, um, some people from various spiritual traditions who tend to find me so I can you know, help them with their awakening or their enlightenment or their realization. Um, I, I've watched uh, a number of them um, do this just as a practice. And it's not, it's, again, it's not one I'd ever impose on anybody, but, but I've watched them do this. And um, and they just um, soared from an enlightenment realization awakening point of view. It just uh, it just was uh, maybe one of the things that, that was tough. And I find that, and again, I just say this just as an observation, that in so many spiritual traditions, um, Eastern and Western, um, there's so much that's about the philosophy of it. There's so much that's about the belief of it. I remember, you know, my training in Catholic theology. It was so much about the dogma of it, if you will, and that that never spoke to me for some reason, um, uh, like the love part of it did. Um, but but um, it, it, to the degree I'm going to make a generalization, to the degree that we we um, uh, wed or marry the philosophical dogma teaching aspects of it to the the spirit of it. Um, it, there's a good chance that those teachings will subtly help in certain ways, like, oh, wow, look at that, um, but really limit us in other ways simply because we wind up kind of holding on to those kinds of things. Oh, yeah. It's like two hungry guys standing outside a restaurant looking at the menu. I, I believe that the chicken is going to be better. Well, I believe that the, you know, that the fish is going to be better, and they can stand there and starve to death arguing about beliefs, <laughs> you know, as opposed to going in and actually having the experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. Can I use that? That's sure. A good, it's all yours. Analogy. Okay. <laughs> um, and so it's interesting. You said that when you had somehow um, worked through this whole process, you actually did get to the bottom of it. You have a good way of getting to the bottom of things. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you seem to call you the pain of humanity, and then all of your assumptions. You kind of like yeah, yeah. yeah there is a light at the end of the, tr- yeah, of the tunnel. Right. If I stick with it long enough, uh, somehow <laughs> it resolves itself. And, yeah. and that, to me, is the beauty of spirituality. Is is uh, to me ultimate spirituality, if that's even a term 
is much more about just sort of letting go into the mystery, the the grace, the love, the divinity, the magic of of uh, what it is, and um, and just by totally letting go into it as almost the only tool or practice, um, somehow, and it may take time, somehow it um, the magic happens. Mm. Now, again, like for all that pain, that was a, that was a nine year cycle. That was. <laughs> that was not an overnight deal, but yeah. uh, but it's there's so much magic in life. So the magic that happened when you got to the end of this um, questioning assumptions phase was, you said, the mind kind of took a back seat and and you became centered in your feelings, and the mind became more of a tool to manifest the feeling level into practical reality. Yes, and, and the mind, my mind <clears throat> felt, excuse me, felt like it was an intimate part of it. It was a team player. And and my mind felt like uh, it was as spiritual or is as spiritual as is my heart, as is my soul, and um, and was just delighted to have a, a whole new way of being in relation to everything. Yeah, I mean, some people in spiritual circles talk about getting rid of some of these things. You get rid of your ego, yeah. you get rid of your mind and all. And I always have thought of them as just tools that have kind of... Uh, taken too predominant a role and it's not that you get rid of them but you just everything gets more proportionally balanced so things take their rightful place and serve their rightful function yes 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 absolutely Mm. beautifully said and so um when you entered into this phase of um feeling things more intimately more subtly the trees the people you encountered i presume you mean ordinary circumstances like you're in the supermarket and you and you tune into the checkout girl and and just yeah, there's a right. subtle subtle kind of a affinity or feeling there that you wouldn't have had in the past so maybe you could describe your life a little bit at that phase you know what's like what it was like to be bill operating in that condition <laughs> and i'm sure you're still operating that way but it, it was new to you at that point uh it, it was new <clears throat> and um and it, it was uh it was basically a whole new relationship to life the nature of the planet started feeling different to me not not as a philosophical concept right off the bat though the mind catches up and and organizes it after but more as oh it went from now if you knew my childhood um i was born ultra sensitive i felt everything um the world felt like a terribly hostile dangerous place to me um it was so so the earlier part of my life was not very sweet that way so I'm using that as a contrast. So after this, I started noticing uh, the sweetness of creation, the sweetness of human beings. Even even if somebody was yelling at me, I I noticed I noticed um, um, while I was dealing with whatever the person was yelling at me about, I I noticed uh, the sweetness of the person, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, this this person and I are loving each other, he's serving me, I'm serving him in some way, whatever that is, but, but not making it a mind thing, but just feeling the heart connection. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, and so everything, no matter what, as I said before, if I look at wars, uh, for about 10 years through the 90s, uh, my precious life mate and I, Donna, um, started and ran um, what we called World Peace Institute, a nonprofit organization in Washington D.C. And uh, as you can see, we were terribly successful. There's now a world full of peace, <laughs> yeah, right. simply, simply yeah. because of us. Yeah, I, you yeah. guys rock. <laughs> thank you. No, no, don't thank us. <laughs> um, 
Um, but, but what did you actually do to facilitate, not to get you off the track, but what did you do to actually help facilitate world peace when you ran that thing? <laughs> well, we'll see if the word help fits, but, um, actually we, first of all, we built it on what we called for a more mentally oriented Washington DC community, a consciousness of oneness. Mm-hmm. So it was not so much about conflict negotiation, if you will, which is sort of a prevailing model of, um, of how you bring about peace. It was more about helping people and systems um, uh, learn how to walk a mile in the shoes of the other person, step into another opening, open their hearts, creating circumstances and, um, and rituals and programs um, through which um, people met each other in deeply more heart-centered ways. Uh, human ways got to know each other, not, a, not just around the conflict areas. Uh, but then uh, tried to uh, we, we never tried to put oneness into a set of principles, if you will. Somehow it just didn't uh, work for us. But uh, experientially, just just to invite people to the experience, and so we did that. You know, all the way from the global to the um, societal to the racial to the to to the community to the to uh, relationships, uh, intimate personal relationships, marriages, if you will, people living together. The people in relation to themselves is like the, the, the theme is, oh, if I can become one with another person, even though I may hate that person, or if I, in relation to myself, can become one with my body, even if I hate a facet of my body, it's, it's the same principle. If I can become one, then the magic of oneness um, starts to enter in and, um, and, and calls us in a bigger way. I, I noticed that uh, almost all those um, conflict negotiation treaties that they would come up with, uh, that they would sign, uh, just uh, they they usually lasted a few years, and then what they did is uh, they died. They, they uh, you know they didn't get followed through with, and uh, and so I was looking for something that would touch us and bond us at a deeper level. So mm-hmm. so that's a lot of what we did, and of okay. course my big joke about that is once once we created world peace we shut it down so yeah right <laughs> was this like back in the 70s 80s something like that no this was through the 90s actually oh through the 90s yeah, okay yeah, from about yeah. 1990 to 99 something okay like um so we were talking about the reason i brought this up is the reason you brought it up was we were talking about uh that even though people may appear antagonistic to one another on a subtler level there's some kind of heart connection going on i mean would you say that that's the case in every situation i mean is there a heart connection going on between assad and the people that are trying to get him from power and they're he's bombing the heck out of them there's some kind of love thing going on on some deep level actually ironically uh through the eyes of oneness that's really true i'll I'll share with you an example i share with uh, different groups from time to time um back when i was a psychologist and i used to uh (laughs) <laughs> used to try to do um, relationship counseling, marriage therapy. I would uh, I would watch people at a conscious left brain verbal level, like yelling and screaming at each other to, to uh-huh. a couple, two people. You know, if if you would only change, then I'd be happy. And uh, you know, <laughs> you you son of a whatever, you know, blah blah blah. Um, and then I would watch because I could see energies back in those days too. I would watch their hearts, and it and I watched this. A love communication going on from heart to heart, and if I would if I would tune into the love the heart communication, 
the heart communication would be saying something like, look, I'm really sorry I'm beating up on you out here. It's the only way at a, a um, conscious level I know how to, how to do this. But I really love you. you, mm. you thank you for, for walking through this with me. And I, when I first started noticing that, I, again, I, 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 uh, I thought, I'm am a I discoverer. hallucinating? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, and then, then I would watch the sort of the solar plexus communication, which is more about uh, energy and need. Then I would watch the soul connection, if you will, and, uh, and I would watch the bondedness. So I, I, I know we're always relating on all these levels, and there literally is, even though it looks like if I'm bombing you, if I'm killing you, if I'm um, doing something horrible to you, Ironically, and in the de- at the deepest level of soul, there is this uh, deep bondedness, this huge love that, while not visible out here because we can only see that, that captures our attention, um, is, um, is so genuine, so real. So for me, what I tend to do is I tend to just join that, just go there, and then however I show up at the, at the other levels... I, I just I just become one with how they're one, and um, and then take my cues from that oneness because the as we all know there's huge wisdom at that soul level huge wisdom in the ways we are one that can uh, can make such a huge 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 difference. So there, are there any exceptions to this, or can you say categorically that you know the Nazis and the Jews, uh, the slave masters and the uh, traders and the slaves, any horrific situation we want to look at, on a deep level there was some kind of, uh, from a much broader perspective, a much subtler perspective, there was some sort of mutually beneficial love kind of thing going on there. In my experience, uh, there's no exception to this. And I, um, uh, I don't want to call myself a great master of this necessarily, but I, um, there's so many ways in which, uh, even when I'm talking to people, I'm, I'm like so present to pretty much everything that goes on in the, in the, the human dynamic, if you will. Uh, I feel myself totally one with uh, the human family in, in the ups, in the downs, in the joys and the sufferings. And so I, I keep an eye on what goes on around the world. And <clears throat> so just as I look at it, um, there are no exceptions to that. <clears throat> we we are deeply in love with one another, even though we've lost conscious touch with that. We've not lost touch unconsciously or subconsciously or superconsciously. It's only at the conscious level that we we forget and and where we struggle. And it's all about fight or flight and um, self survival survival of the fittest, etc. Um, so um, so to me, because that conscious is one part of a much bigger system. To me, what's, what's, what's a cool definition of spirituality is that I just become one with and show up to everything, every part of me, my conscious, my subconscious, my unconscious, my energy, uh, my primal self, my spiritual self, my mystical self, my divine self, and, and we're all of that. And so, so if, this is, this is my um, philosophical chewing about it, um, so if, as the Eastern spiritualities say, um, creation is really about the divine or God slash goddess, um, creating a playground so that the divine can experience all that the divine is in myriad ways, then, then what a cool way to be human to simply experience everything that humanness is, the upside, the, 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 the downside, the, the light, the dark, 
Um, and, and for me, as I've done all of that, again, just because it's been done to me, it just starts being shown to me over and over and over again, uh, wow, this is all divine. This is, so anything dark, it's amazing. So just I'll say that one other way. I, uh, again, I mentioned I did a lot of depth psychotherapy, and, and even spiritually, uh, whether it's in the context of healing or just supporting someone's growth, um, I'm, I'm always really, really present to uh, every facet of a person, including that dark side, including uh, or that seeming dark side, and including any pain. And, and what I've just discovered, because it's been shown to me over and over, that uh, no matter how excruciatingly awful something feels, if we go there, spend enough time with it, massage it in, a different, in, in enough different ways, um, love it, care for it, um, uh, at some point we, we go deeper into it and deeper into it, down into the core of it, down into the soul of the symptom, if you will, and ah, ah, we find God. We find the divine. We find we find love. We find perfection. We find beauty. And then I watch it kind of crack open, just like a like a shell of a nut, just cracks open, and all that that love or divinity just comes out. Um, and and that's what the healing's about. I think is finding the divine within the seeming problem. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Some of these esoteric philosophers or. Um guys like Michael Newton who wrote this book about having or hypnotically regressing people to the period between lives and, the, yes. and and exploring what went on there you know they talk about how we pretty much sign up for whatever we end up doing here even uh, so, even things that we wouldn't consciously from this perspective want to take on but there's a kind of a, a, a bigger reason for our taking them on to work out yes. kar- karma or learn lessons or, or whatever mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so you know it helps to kind of put take that perspective because uh, otherwise we talk about the Nazis loving the Jews and vice versa it can be very offensive to some people but <laughs> yeah 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 that's right if we do that just at that left brain level it's uh, yeah it does it, make it can sense. be totally offensive as well as uh, perplexing yeah for sure yeah and there's something else I was going to say but I forget what it was but it doesn't matter um, <laughs> Uh, well, I could jump in here if you yeah, want. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Uh, okay. Um, I, I want to, since, since this is all about me, I mean, <laughs> how often do you get a, the chance of making something all about you? It's, it's too cool. Yeah, there's um, this joke, you know, that goes like, all right, me, 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 enough about me. What do you think about me? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, so one thing I feel moved to say, just because of those of you who are watching um, and listening, uh, it, it might be helpful. Um, so, so I went through everything I've described and then a couple more expressions of that where I just uh, was really one with the infinite and, and, uh, and, just felt, and, and then one with uh, all the many dimensions of life. You know, like in string theory, they talk about uh, all the dimensions that are there. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've become an intimate resident in, all, resident in all of those places. And again, it was, it was like the Moses voice once again <laughs> said, okay. Wonderful, Bill. Now it's time to take all of that, all of that transcendent life, and bring it totally, totally, totally into humanness, into your humanness, into the humanness. Um, and and um, the, the instant picture I had with that was, oh, so often, especially in Eastern approaches to awakening, enlightenment, um, it's really very, very much about transcending. It's very much about... Ah, kind of not totally leaving the human behind, but 
leaving the human behind. It's it's, it's <laughs> like uh, so so human doesn't get a lot of great press. Uh, it's really much more about being in the divine, in the spirit, in the light, in the oneness, if you will. Um, so all of a sudden, it was time to do the seeming reverse of that. So that felt right to me in a way I couldn't explain. So I watched over the next years. I just watched all of that um, come into and play out in my humanness. And, um, and to make the long story short, I noticed that everything that's out there spiritually in the, in the infinity of life is in here. It's, in here. it's reflected in every chakra. It's reflected in every cell and atom. It's reflected in every physiological system. It's, it's reflected in every energy. My whole aura is filled with infinity. And, uh, and, and my, even in my, in my brain and mind, there, there's a whole, um, what do I want to call that, dimension of life that's being played out. And so every human being is, in a way that's accessible internally in the human, every human being is all of the divine and all that emanates from the divine. And, uh, and, and so I, I witnessed that, watched that again, said yes, showed up to it, and uh, was in quite a bit of awe about, oh, it's all here. So a lot of what I try to do these days is I try to help people who, um, who maybe don't necessarily feel called to a traditional enlightenment path, awakening path, to, to find the equivalent thereof uh, within themselves. And so there's a way in which when it's all about me, uh, it can be all about life as well. So I, I tend to use the human as a laboratory setting for discovering um, how amazing life is just in this being called self. And then in that experience, um, this being becomes every being and uh, becomes all of life. A, a, a slightly different approach, but uh, but it's magical to um, to to what's the American Express commercial? Don't leave home without it. Right. So to 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 not even have to leave home and find not American Express necessarily, but find um, divinity and infinity just just in this in this space. So it's um, uh, to me uh, coming from that. One of the side effects is wow, every human being is an exact replica in a, a completely unique sense, each person being unique, exact replica of uh, the divine and all that is there. It's just the most um, exquisite kind of thing. And so um, so that's a lot of what I hang out with people. Yeah, these man is made in the image of God. That That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. It's great, great stuff. Um, there's this whole thing going on in the TM movement, and I can't really do justice to it, but there's uh, whole books have, are being written about it, um, analyzing how, just what you said in great detail, how um, the whole cosmos is within the physiology and the, and the Veda is within the physiology. And there's yes. actually these amazing correspondences between the number of suktas or verses in Rig Veda and the number of nodes on the central nervous system and this part of the brain and this you know, part of the Vedic literature and so on. And the, 
uh, as I said, I, I, I really have a very layman's understanding of it, but it's the, the attempt is to show that there's a correspondence between the structure of human physiology and the sort of a governing principles of the universe which the Vedas are purported to represent. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. fascinating stuff that people might want to look into if it yeah, so, yeah. strikes yes. a chord with them. Yeah. So, um, and hearkening back to the pain issue, I just want to wrap up one point about that. I'm sure that you know you wouldn't have your appendix out without anesthesia. So there, although I did interview a guy <laughs> who actually has root canals and stuff without anesthesia, he says that you know he just gets into this detached state and it, and there's no suffering, so he doesn't bother mm -hmm. with the anesthesia. Personally, I wouldn't make that choice. <laughs> but um, I suppose would you agree that, you know, at least for most of us, there's a, a valid reason for um, blotting out pain under certain circumstances? For, 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 for numbness. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, what is ironic uh, in my psychological days, for several years I specialized in hypnosis and hypnotherapy, mm -hmm. and, um, and I literally witnessed a lot of people going through surgeries without anesthesia wow. uh, just under because hypnosis. of getting under hypnosis yes exactly no not mm. not without hypnosis but uh, so the I hypnosis mean... was the, the the modality if you will so it is absolutely possible i don't feel called to it that's that's it. i mean i i could do it you could do it. we could all do it if i think a we felt called to it and b we responded to that call by saying yeah i'm willing to specialize in Finding that whether it's a hypnotic state or an out-of-body experience or wh whatever uh, altered state it may be, yeah. uh, but for me, uh, it's just not a calling. So yeah. um, if I go through surgery, I'm delighted to, to be drugged. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too. Knock me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, I really actually, respect those people who, uh, yeah. who who do what you describe. More power to them. Um, now that brings up an interesting point. Uh, you know, a lot of in some spiritual traditions, and actually the guy I interviewed last week affirmed this in his own experience, um, you don't lose pure awareness if it's really established, even if you're under anesthesia, even if you're snoring like a sailor in the middle of the night, pure awareness is shining inwardly. Is that your experience? It, it is my experience. And, uh -huh. and uh, in fact, it's very, very, very strongly my experience. That for me, it's, uh, I, I guess the word established, it's like it's, uh, boom, it's there, it's got roots, it is, it's an intimate part of me, it's the central part of the whatever me is here. And, um, and so, it, so it's, it's here to stay. But what I notice with, uh, with a number of people who are there uh, in beginning stages of that, um, they still have that old mentality of, oh, I could lose it. And it's just like, uh, you know, if we're afraid of something, sure enough, that's what's going to show up. Um, so, ooh, I could lose it. I want to make sure I don't lose it. Like how many people have, have yeah. all of you heard, I, like I've heard from people, I want to make sure it's permanent. And, right. and just, just whatever unsureness is in that will, will tend to create the illusion of it's gone. It, yeah. It'll create a, a space where, oh, it's not there. Hmm. Um, it's like the it doubt just, sort of on a, uh, undermines it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, and um, so so it's it's often a uh, a calling at those points to to help that person just um, just uh, not question whether it's there, but kind of go to where the doubt is and uh, mm -hmm. help that out a little bit. Okay, um, 
again in the TM movement, which was my background, uh, the, yeah. Marshy kind of outlined these stages of development. He talked about you know establishing pure awareness, and then he talked about having perception refined so that you're beginning to see the the celestial light value of everything. And then he talked about the unity phase. And you've described all these things that, both in this interview and in your writings and other lectures and stuff that I heard. Um, is there any is there any of that sort of? I mean. I think his his outline was necessarily like a roadmap, didn't correspond precisely to the actual territory it represents, but it was a rough idea yeah. of how things may unfold. Um, it's, it was quite a while ago that you had that unity experience, and then you went where you laid down on the stage, and then you went through some other processes after that. Are you do you still feel like you're going through processes of uh, further unfoldment and and um, refinement and deepening and so on and what might those be uh, you know the cool thing Rick is you ask really good questions yeah how do Thanks. you do that no don't answer uh, them. they just come to mind <laughs> <laughs> um, it's um, I, first of all there's a there's a real distinction that at least for me I think is important and it may be helpful I think um, in this sort of awakening um, deal one gets to a certain point where we move from linear and quantitative to qualitative and experiential. So I don't feel like I'm expanding anymore, mm -hmm. expanding, implying linear movement from point A to point B to point C. Uh, so I don't feel like I'm growing anymore in the, in the traditional sense of getting from here to there. I feel like I'm, what a cute term, like I'm in the ballpark, uh, if you will, of being, uh, and we could use all those other words for it too. And, and then from there, moving from quantity to quality, from there it's like, and, and you use this word, it's like, ah, it's just experiencing the, the different flavors of that more fully. Um, it's, uh, it's being in that more deeply. It's um, there. There is a fine tuning, but it doesn't have the feel of growth in the ways we talk about growth. It has much more the feeling of oh, I'm here and and I'm uh, and then here's the point for me. Um, there's a whole way in which while if you listen to my words in this this chat we're having, um, my words are very much dualistically and individually oriented because that's our language. I talk about I and me. But truly out there, um, and I say this with respect to anybody's sense of individuality, uh, I don't feel like I exist as a person. And so, so while I can, I can use the language, uh, in truth, I feel like I am life. And so I think at the point at which we start really becoming one with all of life, all of creation, etc. Uh, we we start um, we start just being that, and then at a, at a certain point or series of points, uh, it becomes just the movement of life, and and we stop thinking in terms of self, <clears throat> and and what happens instead is life just uh, subsumes us into its own uh, its own beauty, its own journey, its own expansiveness. And, uh, and whatever seemingly individualized consciousness there is in that, it's just in awe at the bigger and bigger dimensionality, the deeper and purer truth, 
the the, the just the exquisite uh, divine nature of everything and so it's it's more like i i feel like i've just gotten subsumed into celebration so the word for me and it could be um, different for other people so as i pull that back into an individualized consciousness or awareness it's like wow and then second it's about ooh, celebrate it's like a, if there's a calling in it it's like to be in awe if you will of every aspect of creation even stuff that looks awful on the on the human uh, realm or in, on the human planet <clears throat> and um, and just be like have this individuality be like <clears throat> the divine which is oh I just love it no matter what I have no <clears throat> judgment no condemnation of it um, all I have is this grace filled desire to just keep uh, being drastically in love with everything and that's uh, that's uh, kind of the summary from this part of the ranch if cool. you will and it's um, it, well it's speaking a, of ranch I was going to use a metaphor to kind of summarize what you just summarized which was right. you know like you've captured the fort which commands the territory so now the territory belongs to you and you're at leisure at liberty to explore around and you know it's, the territory isn't going to get any bigger you own the territory but you, there's so much to be explored within the territory and to become more familiar with and, mm -hmm. and you're, so you're able to play about and do that and to, to shift the metaphor slightly you know you're able to kind of be an instrument um, to totally abandon that metaphor you're able to be an instrument to um, you know infuse the divine into the world to serve the world in mm -hmm. in, a, in whatever way you are equipped to do yes right yes beautifully said a gorgeous summary i love it cool bill and i had more we wanted to say but he has to go and we've just had some computer problems for the past 10 minutes uh, otherwise we would have continued this discussion um but we'll have another visit sometime um and cover cover more material but for the time being um, I want to thank Bill for uh, this interview. I think it's been a lot of fun. And um, those of you who have been listening or watching will be able to get in touch with Bill. I'll link to his website from mine, batgap.com. And if you go there, you will see all the other interviews I've been doing and, uh, and will do. You can sign up for an email newsletter to be notified of them. You'll also see a little discussion group that springs up around each interview. Um, and you will see a link to an audio podcast. So you can subscribe to this on uh, in iTunes as a podcast if you like. Also, if you're listening to this on YouTube, you can just subscribe to the channel, and YouTube will notify you every time there's a new video. So thanks, Bill. Uh, it's been a joy. <laughs> thanks for bearing with all these technical glitches we've been dealing with. Oh, that's no problem at all, Rick. I want to thank you, and I want to thank everybody who now and uh, forever is watching this um, and viewing this. Um, it, it's a joy. I, I really um, like you, which is strange because you can tell I don't like hardly anybody. <laughs> uh, but uh, but no, it's 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 a pleasure. I love the uh, the service you do to life and to those who are on this path. It's a, it's an exquisite one. So on behalf of all of us, thank you, and and just a, a message to everybody who's uh, listening, viewing, watching, experiencing this. 
Um, thank you. It's been a joy sharing my heart with you, my soul with you, my love with you. Um, I just kind of wrap myself around you and just uh, support you for the rest of your life and uh, do that with the, the gentlest, uh, most exquisite divine love possible. It's been a total privilege to spend this time with you. So thank you. Thank you, Bill. Stay in touch. I will. Thank you, Rick. Right. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.